Welcome to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. And as always, very glad to have you back for another episode and another week. And thank you for continuing to support this podcast. And as always, we have another special guest. Uh, today we have Dr. Jillian Riggert. Um, not just any doctor, she has her physician's license, MD and dental license, DMD. So she is dual physician in both dentistry and medicine. So this is going to be a very interesting journey that we're all going to learn about here in real time. So I'm very excited to hear her story and just really to collaborate. So thank you for coming on the podcast. I know you're busy, but thank you for taking the time out to talk to me. Are you interested in real estate? Are you tired of hearing about all the money that your friends and colleagues are making from their investments, but you don't know where to start? Don't worry, I got you. We are teaming up with Dr. Ronnie Shalev and Shawin Properties to equip you with the tools you need to feel empowered about your investments. So how do you get involved? Do these three things. First, go to my website at drderekthesportsdoctor.com and click on the sponsor link for Shawin Properties. This will give you access to a free webinar as well as the ability to have a discovery call with Dr. Ronnie Shalev. Also follow her on social media and stay tuned for more helpful tips coming at you on Money Mondays. Now back to the episode. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you and everything that you do. Absolutely. So typically we will talk and kind of discuss things for five to 10 minutes before hitting record, but I did not want to ruin this story by doing that. So we're just going to go at it raw and see what it turns out to be. So first tell us, number one, you know, kind of your path through medicine, why dentistry, why medicine, what inspired you to kind of take the path that you took? Yeah, so I did dentistry because I was really focused on helping people with their quality of life and their mental health. So you'd ask why dentistry, it was more because I thought socially we know people a lot from their face and it really impacts people to have poor oral health and their self-esteem and their desire to go to levels and interview. And so I thought the best way I could help someone was when I was going to do psychology, but it wasn't as accepted in my family as I would have liked. And so I decided to pursue uh, dentistry for similar, similar reasons why I would pursue both. And so I did dentistry and uh, always kind of felt like it was, it was missing something. You know, I felt like, okay, we're so focused on the mouth. We get medicine and some dental schools actually have two years of medicine as their first two years of dental school. And mine, it was pretty robust in, in medicine. I felt like I did get a good training, but I still felt I was personally missing something. And in dental school, the only specialty that combined both dentistry and medicine was oral surgery. So that was kind of how it all started. And during dental school, we had Air Force officers rotate from different specialties through our school. And I just was enamored. I was like, I need to be part of this the way that they represented themselves, the courtesy they have, the level of standard they held themselves to. I was put my head down and say, I need to be an Air Force oral surgeon. And I felt very fortunate to be selected in order to continue down that path. 
And so I joined the Air Force and I started my oral surgery residency and I picked my head up and I thought, mm, I'm not quite sure this is the right fit for me. Um, so the things I was experiencing at the time were during periods of long hours uh, without sleep, I was actually becoming suicidal. And I felt I was the only one, you know, you hear burnout now, but I didn't, this was 2014, right. yeah. 17 time period. And I did not hear it. So I was just thinking, why am I the, everyone looked fine around me. Why am I the only one that cannot hold up to what we need to do in order to be successful in surgery? And it was kind of like a, an existential crisis and an identity concern for me is I just, you know, I just put in as 28 ish around at the time. And I just felt, I felt ill, um, but I didn't know what exactly it was telling me. Um, I do a lot of work now about getting into your body and, and how your body can tell you if you're in alignment with your true values or not in oral surgery. That's where I, in your second and third year of residency, you do medicine. And when I was on my medical rotations, I thrived. I loved it. And I loved psychiatry and mental health. And when I was on surgery, I was not thriving as well. And, and that was kind of what was highlighting to me, hmm, I think you went down a path that maybe isn't the best for you. I was really fortunate for the medical school that I was at. They really allowed me to lean into every single rotation and to feel that out versus just saying, nope, you're on this path. You can't think about anything else. You have to stay on this path. They kind of took me under their wing, especially any attendings that had had career transitions or even thoughts. Um, maybe, you know, a couple of surgeons did mention to me, oh yeah, when I have long hours on call, I, I do have dark thoughts and they've learned how to manage them. So it, it was the environment that I was at that really helped me to, to lean into everything and start to see that I needed to make some changes. So, you know, there's a hierarchy in medicine and dentistry. And what I remember from training, like number one, I always had a high level of respect for oral surgeons because it was hardcore. I mean, like for anyone to go through medical school and dental school, and then many times they would do a GP year to just get into the residency and they will always be at the hospital. Like mm -hmm. in the program where I trained, because the case level load or whatever, it might not be that high. Like everybody would go to the OR and no one would leave until they were done. And it was just grueling and kind of a cutthroat environment. Um, so you, number one, you don't just accidentally get into oral surgery. You have to be a high achiever to even make it to oral surgery. So talk to me about once you achieve that level and when you started to think, okay, this is not for me, was there some heart, what kind of feelings did you have around that? Yeah, a lot of it was, you know, when we hear imposter syndrome, um, mm -hmm. a lot of it was clouded by my lack of confidence. And I thought I didn't deserve to be there. Even objectively, my dental school was small. It was really great training, but it wasn't one of those academic centers that's highly known because it gets a whole lot of research funding. I researched all in dental school and we were on low resources. And so I had, you know, I was interviewing uh, in surgery with all these people coming from the, you know, the, the institutions that are well known. And sure. I thought, well, I think I only got in because I was free. I was sponsored by the Air Force. So the program had all these, you know, all these constructs in my head of, I don't yeah. deserve here. 
And because I was playing that over and over in my head, it was constantly making me feel like an outsider, like I don't belong. And no one around me was making me feel that way. Like when I reflect back, they were all very accepting and all very supportive, but I'm inherently a very sensitive, like I definitely absorb people's emotions and that's not the stereotypical surgeon, but Mm -hmm. there are great surgeons that are very warm hearted. And, And so it was in surgery training, with that personality and I was, you know, a people pleaser and I really needed external validation to show me that I was doing okay because my inner dialogue was like, you are horrible, you're inadequate, you're incompetent. And you play that no matter what you're doing over and over again, and then add that you're sleep deprived and add that you're in a high stress, high stakes, high risk environment, because the, the procedures in dental school are relatively low risk to orthognathic surgeries or you know, someone coming in, you're doing neck dissections or anything like that. Um, so I think it was just that it was maybe I didn't have enough of a stepping stone between dental school and surgery to, to prepare, but I also hadn't really leaned in to realize like my self-esteem was real low. My self-compassion was real low. And I say self-compassion because that's something Brene Brown, I have a cup actually it says, what would Brene Brown do? <laughs> And she was just here in Houston uh, at a dental conference. And she said, at the core of mental toughness is self-compassion. So people that are very mentally tough, even in in the military and surgery, the core trait that they need to have is self-compassion. And I didn't. And part of why we even met is I was taking it out. I was running like crazy. I wasn't eating. I had negative thoughts. So that was certainly not uh, setting myself up for success. So talk to us about, because you mentioned running. So you were a college athlete, correct? Yep. And yep. what events did you run in college? I was a D3 athlete and I did the 10K and I ran cross country. Okay, so long distance, but you eventually went on to run and do marathons or? Yep, I did marathons while in college and then I continued and did some while I was in dental school. Okay, so were you training as a college athlete and doing marathons just kind of on the side? Yeah, I did uh, my first and second marathons while I was in college and my coach helped me train for them. It was a trade-off. He said, I'll help you train if I ran conference. And it was funny because I ran the Boston marathon. I think it was like 10 days before a conference or something like that. It was prepared. That's why I thought I'd be a great surgeon. I can do crazy, but it was the best 10K I ever ran. So um, he saw it wasn't hurting me and it was helping with my running, helped me with my confidence. And it made me feel strong and capable. And so um, everyone usually supported, supported the running, but not realizing at what level is, is it starting to become destructive. So what I'm going to make up that you are a strong athlete, but as a person, not as confident. Mm-hmm. So the athleticism balanced the lack of confidence, just you as a person daily. Yeah, I think so. I think it really helped to relieve stress and also um, to just clear the negative energy I have, right? It's like bottled up in all of that negativity. uh, The running really helped to kind of reduce that anxiety and and center me. Did the running lead to health problems for you or? Yeah, so I had compulsive, just like anyone would have an addiction to alcohol or other substances. I, I was, I had a compulsive exercise, so I couldn't go a day without running a whole lot. So I sacrificed sleep to run. And eventually my, my heart was in the twenties. Like my heart rate was too low. Um, my wow. weight 
low because I also have an eating disorder. I've, I've lived with anorexia and lack of control in surgery. Anorexia sometimes creeps in when you need more control. And so uh, on top of the sleep deprivation that kicked up to cope with the inadequacy. So that also fed into why running became so unhealthy for me. Got it. So now you mentioned that we're in this training program. You're about to step away from oral surgery and you decided to go to medical school and concentrate on medical school at that point. So I was in medical school as part of oral surgery. Right. So I graduated medicine and then we, we talked a little bit before everyone could, could hear us that when are we going to learn about stopping? Yes. I want to share this because this is something that when people come to me, uh, to help support their career transitions or burnout recovery. Uh, I was not yet willing to face the grief and the guilt and the shame of leaving a residency. And I had just been medically discharged from the military, which was a huge identity loss. And I was very passionate about the military. I loved the military. Um, and if I would have let go of surgery sooner, I potentially could have been healthy enough to stay in the military. So I was beating myself up for all these things. And I had lost my ex-boyfriend passed away and some other people close to me passed away. And there was so much grief and I didn't want to face any, I wasn't ready to face any of that. I signed over my uh, residency resignation letter. And the next day I'm starting my other residency. My second residency was oral medicine. And not a lot of people know what oral medicine is. And it's a specialty of dentistry. And there's a lot of rotations that we go on a medical rotation. So it felt like a perfect fit. And at the time, I didn't even know oral medicine was a residency and it hadn't yet been identified as an ADA accredited specialty in dentistry. All right. So after you finished that, did you go on to clinical practice or what was your career path like? The Sabre training bat is like no other training bat you've ever used before. So the purpose of the Sabre training bat with its modified barrel is so that you can perfectly sequence and get behind the ball, getting the bat on plane sooner, creating less miss hits, more line drives, higher batting averages, and more exit velocity. The Sabre training bat is the number one training bat on the market. Sabre bats, the training bat that's going to take you to your best swing. Yeah, so I graduated in 2019 and I was actually an attending uh, at a hospital when COVID hit and I was in hospital-based dentistry. So COVID and really sick patients and dentistry were not a great combination, sure. um, but it, it, it gave me that pause and, and we, we removed ourselves from clinic and, and I stayed out of clinic more because uh, at that time, my immune system, like my white blood cell count was 1.63. It was from all the stress and whatnot. So staying outside of the clinic gave me that perspective of, okay, what do you really want to do now? And what haven't you done? Process grief, face the shame and guilt of leaving surgery uh, and what that meant about me as a person, because not only did those negative thoughts in surgery rear their heads, but after leaving, then you're a quitter, you know? And mm -hmm. as we know from sports, it's right. really hard to take that and not make it Mean a negative something. thing mm -hmm. yeah so all right so we're in 2020 now and yeah. now you're saying okay dentistry shut down hospitals shut down I have time to deal with myself 
oh, at the same time, the whole world is in turmoil, that a pandemic's starting. So how did you manage the world is crazy and everything is shutting down. And now I'm going to go inside and kind of deal with all the things that I've been putting off for years. Were you, uh, how were you able to process all of that? Yeah, it was, I was in a combination of therapy and that wasn't enough. Like I had a lot of the trauma, a lot of people during medical training and with COVID will have like a lot of trauma. And yes. I numbed that again with over, I was overrunning. And I was uh, at that point had a really negative relationship with running. I was just running and running and running. It was the only thing I could control was how much I was running. So I barely ever stopped. And I was tired and I was just sick of being sick because you, if people have experiences with eating disorders or, you know, even if it's diet and you're just constantly just uncomfortable in your own skin and, and using that as, as a way to control something, it becomes exhausting. And so I thought, you know, I hit a rock bottom with that. And I thought I'm either going to die or I'm going to make massive changes in my life. And I chose the latter. And I, I had a condo at the time. I sold it and I sold most everything in it. This puppy is uh, on, on this photo that is next to me is, it was my saving grace. He's been with me through all these experiences in oral medicine and, and beyond that. So I just kept him and really focused, okay, what's really important in my life and being remote helped me to realize that maybe, maybe that chaotic setting isn't the best fit for me, you know, with being so sensitive, maybe I need something slower. I was really good at data analysis and numbers. And, and so I thought research has always been something I've really enjoyed. And I reached out to my oral medicine community. I said, I don't think I'm the best fit for me. I think I need to move on. And they gave my chair, uh, gave me an email from a radiation oncologist. And it was a, an email of a photo of a tweet. So this is funny because I never would have <laughs> planned it. I was actually interviewing. So I knew I was about to go into a a period of joblessness, not because I was fired, so I wasn't eligible for any support. And, and so uh, I ended my contract and I was looking at all sorts of jobs and none of them were feeling right. I just felt like I was grabbing at something to have an income and, and to just feel stable, even if it wasn't enough to actually be stable right. financially. But my chair gave me, my former chair from oral medicine gave me that email with the tweet and I didn't have a Twitter account, but I got one so that I could tweet <laughs> this person who had tweeted about their interest in adding a, an earlier career uh, dental specialist to their team. And so I tweeted him right away and we interviewed, I think it was the next night and he's currently my boss. So I moved across country. I work in radiation oncology um, and it's been a lot better fit. So I didn't mention that throughout my training, I in medical school, I found that my niche, I love to be able to hold space for cancer patients. Uh, and I think part of that's from my anorexia journey is that when people don't know and it's complex and they're afraid, they often leave. And that was the loneliness was so, so painful and so depressing. And having the loneliness and the depression feed into a disease, it can lower the prognosis is what you know I understand from, from reading the literature. And without hope uh, for my own fight, uh, it's easy to give up. So in order to have a boundary, I didn't want to work with patients with eating disorders, but I resonated with this similar experience with people with cancer enough that I could learn how to hold space for them. So in medical school, that's what stuck in oral medicine. We're actually uh, part of the dental specialists that are trained most with patients being treated for cancer. 
Uh, and again, during that residency, that was the niche that, that really I felt like it add the most value. So then when this opportunity came, I work at a cancer institution and it is, it just felt like it was really in alignment with what I was seeking without even knowing what was going to be available. So one thing as you're talking, you know, I've mentioned before on my podcast that I, you know, I have the belief that no steps are wasted, whether they're failure, you know, success, ups, downs, happiness, sadness, it all comes together to make us a unique individual. And it sounds like, you know, adversity, I mean, you've overcome mental illness and physical illness and loss and, you know, so many things, but you have not let it destroy you, number one. And now it seems like you're able to put all those pieces together into one beautiful mosaic to be able to help other people. So is that where you kind of decided I'm going into coaching or talk to us about that? Yeah. So interestingly enough, when I was at that point of, do I give up on life or do I do something drastically different? I was, uh, had just been invited into a women physicians Facebook group and they were talking about how coaching was really helping with burnout. And I was like, I had not yet found anything that was helping. And I felt almost desperate for something different than what I've tried before. So I looked at a few programs and just wasn't feeling the right fit. And then someone posted about Martha Beck and she has a program called the Wayfinder Life Coach Program. And I just kept landing on her website. And I was like, there's something special about this person. And her story is she has uh, kind of leaned against what she grew up in and she's had a path that was non-traditional. And I just resonated so much. And she actually talks about how when you're in a path that's out of alignment with your integrity, or with your true values, then you feel it have a, a negative somatic experience, like you get sick and she has chronic illness and it affects your mental health. And it's what she said resonated. So I started her program. And when I joined the program, it was for my own healing, as well as learn how to hold space for people. And I had no expectations for what I was getting, what I was getting into. But through joining, when I got to my new institution and there was a burnout committee, I sat in on it. And after the chair said, if you have any questions, message me. And I said, is there an opportunity to bring coaching to our department? And he said, actually, it's already within our institution. He gave me the contact for a person in charge of the coach training in, a, in the institution. And there was an open seat. So it was very serendipitous mm -hmm. for the cohort that started a couple months later, which is it's nuts to think about now because now the openings are much, much later if you were to ask if, if you're interested. So I got the opportunity to do coach training through uh, my institution and became a coach and just saw how much it helped me. And then, as you said, no, nothing's wasted. So how can I take my experiences with anorexia and I see what we do in medicine and it's not taught well about eating disorders, but also just BMI and, and weight biases and how we communicate with people uh, it really needs to be changed if we're going to help people. And so I can use that voice, even if they don't have a technically an eating disorder, diagnosed eating disorder, uh, can have a shared experience and sensitivity for people that come in. And so with all those experiences, uh, I try to help the medical community hear that story and, and at least shake it up a little bit uh, through blogging with on Kevin MD's website. So whatever you, I'm like, I don't know exactly where I need to say this. You know, it needs my own doctor after I moved to Houston, I've become a lot healthier. So there's a, you know, a big difference of my weight from where I, I was before I moved to Houston and now, and she doesn't know how much I weigh, but she knows the difference. 
And so mm. she counseled me. She knows all my diagnosis. I mean, I was discharged with the eating disorder from the military. And so she can see all my diagnosis, but she still counseled me on my weight over telephone. And I'm like, wait a second. Oh, wait a second. Like, yeah. Completely inappropriate. The weight change was needed. And this is, but it gave me a glimpse of what people are facing and it's unacceptable. Yeah, no, that's a great point because people will look at a number and they don't know where you started or where you have, you know, where you're going. No, that was very eye-opening when you said that. And that definitely makes me think about, you know, when I have these discussions uh, with people. So thank you for sharing that. And number one, thank you for sharing, just being so open um, and being so brave to share your story uh, because this is how you connect with people and how you can save somebody else because literally we go through things each day and we feel so isolated uh, because you know when the pressure is on you, it seems like you're alone many times. And to be able to know that someone like you has been through so much um, and still being able to achieve at such a high level is very inspirational for me and it will be for many people who hear this story. So just thank you for being so open. Yeah, and, and I'll have to say, when I was a resident, there was, when I thought I was alone, and I mentioned I, I had suicidal ideation, uh, there was one surgeon that told me, you know, pulled me aside and had a deep discussion with me about her experiences. That discussion held, had me pause enough to be like, I'm not alone. And that's why I share, because I'm like, if people hear they're not alone, it at least gives them that, okay, I can take a step back and say, what do I need to heal? It's not just me. Because in my head for three years, I was like, why, why can I not do this? And for the first time I'm a, I felt, you know, I'm a complete failure, like can failure in my life. And I was not focusing on anything that went positive. Yeah. All right. So on time out with the sports doctor, this is your final timeout. So I want you to speak to the individual because people are going to be hearing this at the beginning of the year. So you know, many times at the beginning of the year, there's a lot of pressure. I'm about to change everything, right? I'm going to make these resolutions. I'm going to get on a diet. I'm going to get on whatever. I'm going to change, just completely change. Please speak to that person who's feeling pressure to change, um, but feels stuck and is down. You know, just give them some tools to work with or where to start. Yeah, the first thing I do is know your why. Because a lot of us want to do these things, but we do it for external pressures or the belief that it will drastically improve our, our life in some way, but it's filling a void that maybe you're not at, at the root cause or root core of what that void is. So, you know, with the eating disorder, I could lose weight all the time, but really I was looking for something to numb and something to feel better because what I really needed was self-compassion. And I think taking away Brene Brown's at the core of mental toughness is self-compassion because if we can at least offer people that self-compassion is not fluffy it's not something that should be overlooked and something that you know is seen as a soft skill it's something that's absolutely necessary and the one thing you said make drastic changes in Martha Beck's program we never make everything big at one time it's always turtle stuff so you can have a vision of what you want and of course I would make sure that vision is an alignment with your core values and with a why that's internal to you, not why because so-and-so is making me feel that I should do this to be a person with worth. You're already worthy. Right. Um, so have a vision and then always make sure it's in alignment because we can all set these audacious goals. And if they're not in alignment, they will, you know, you'll get to the top and it can feel very empty. 
uh, and then make small turtle steps way forward so that you can always allow yourself permission to pivot as needed. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Now you mentioned Brene Brown a couple of times. What's your favorite book uh, oh, from her? Gosh. I don't, I love all of her books. I, she just, Atlas of the Heart just came out. So that's one that comes to mind, but Daring Greatly was great. And, and she's got some, a podcast that everyone can, can look up as well if they don't have time to dive into her books. Great. So tell everyone about the work that you're doing and how they can follow along with your journey. Yeah, I think in alignment with our discussion is I do have a, a YouTube channel as well, and it's all about uh, other people's journeys so that they can really feel not alone. And, and that's kind of my baby right now is to provide a community that people know and they can see themselves in other people, and then they have ways to contact them since we're all on uh, very different journeys. It, all the people that come onto the podcast, just like your, your wonderful work that you're doing, uh, if you feel yourself or see yourself in a glimpse of what someone else has experienced, uh, then then you can lean into connecting further with them. So that's where I'd go. And my YouTube channel is just my name with my credentials at the end of it. Perfect. Well, thank you once again for sharing your story. Um, and if, if we can ever be a value to add value to what you're doing, just let me know. But thank you for sharing with us today. Yeah, thank you so much. Of course, we'll have to get you on my platform to hear more about your story as well. Absolutely. I'll be glad to do it. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episode. Until later, peace.